to the In His Voice podcast hosted by me, Rob L. Lowe, where we talk about the trials and tribulations that deeply impact the lives of boys and men uh, without ever bashing women. We talk about everything from the bedroom to the boardroom, from the playground to the stadium and everything in between. And today's no different. So we have a lot to unpack. Today's topic, very, very special to me, as all of them are, but this one is meaningful. For those of you that have followed me, you know I have my book coming out pretty soon. The title of the book is So What? Keep Going, A Story of Resilience. And in the beginning of the book, I talk about the, the pain that I felt when my father left me. So my father, uh, who's no longer living, uh, left my mom when I was two years old. My father was biracial, but he looked white. He passed as white. And he didn't do anything for us. After my mom died, and that'll be another segment we talk about, we were raised by my grandparents. And so I saw a strong male figure was my grandfather. But my father lived in the same neighborhood in my entire life. I saw him all the time, and he never did anything for me. Not only did he not do anything, his mother didn't do anything, his sisters didn't do anything, his brothers didn't do anything for us, and they saw us grow up and knowing that we didn't have a mother. And so I carried a lot of that resentment um, as, as I went through my adolescent life and into my adult life. And it affected me in the way that I grew to be a parent when I had my own daughters, meaning I was overprotective. I made sure that I tried to compensate for all the things that I didn't experience as a kid and not having a father. And so today's show, we're going to talk about the power of fatherhood. And on my show, I have a good guest of mine, a good friend by the name of Dr. Kenneth Coopwood from Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity, Indiana State University, and a plethora of other schools. Ken, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Rob. So glad to be with you, and, and it's just an honor to, to just be in your company and to try to do something good for your audience. So thank you for having me. Well, man, listen, we're here in North Carolina. We're shooting it in your living room. I All wish right. they could see it. Your <laughs> wife is doing our engineering work right now. So I came here to visit, to get a good grub, and, uh, and, and somehow she ended up working for us. So yeah. uh, thank you very much. You guys can't see her, but I truly appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, I'll probably do a video with my phone. And right at this segment, I'll drop it in and show her uh, with, with the pieces, right? So well, you know this better be good. You didn't transform her living room. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm telling you, right? If y'all could see it, I literally made a studio out of their living room. Mm -hmm. Home is beautiful. Ken, you know, we're going to shoot a couple podcasts probably over the next couple months, I'm sure. Like, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll have a couple, and I'll come back, and we'll do it. But there's so many topics I want to talk about with you. But last night, we went to dinner. Yeah. And last night at dinner... Um, you know, I, 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 the story is I met your father uh, when I was in grad school and you were at Indiana State. And I remember you were at the Afro-American Culture Center. I walked in. I looked at your father, this big dude, looked just like you, but twice as big. <laughs> and, man, I shook his hands. Mm. And I promise you I could have put my forearm, my hand, all in his hand. <laughs> and the only thing went through my mind was I would never, ever want to get whooped by this dude, man. <laughs> And, 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 and while we were at dinner, man, you started talking about stories about your father. Mm. And so I want to start off. There's so much I want to uncover. But I, I, on this episode, I want to talk about, man, what was that relationship like for you? Uh, what were some of the life lessons you learned? What did, how did it, you know, transform you as a father? 
but you got to tell some of these stories that you told me, dude. So, so let's talk about it. First, t- tell me a little about yourself so people know who you are. What do okay. you do? Where are you right. at? Okay, thank you. Uh, so um, I'm uh, Dr. Ken Cooper, and I've been a Ph.D. for 23 years now. I got it in, in 2000 from Indiana State, our alma mater, and I spent uh, the last 30-some years of my life as a senior-level administrator at uh, four different institutions, um, three different states. Uh, I've raised uh, four children, three biologically, um, had uh, one stepson by uh, way of marriage. Um, I'm married to uh, actually a person that I fell in love with way back in school. Didn't know it. All right, all right. <laughs> you know, so we've got a uh, basically a 40-plus-year love affair. Um, and I, I'm, I'm happy at this stage. And it's just because I, I believe I've made the right decisions from the mistakes. Yeah. You know, moving past the mistakes I've made, uh, um, I've come to a good place in my, with myself and my heart with my family so things are really good right now and so um, that's who I am I, I, I think the uh, the product of my mistakes is a, is a good label to have yeah. speaking of mistakes that, that's a great segue your father yeah um, what was your relationship with him okay. like, what was that like well um, first I think it was important to know that I learned a great deal from his mistakes. And what's important about that is that I didn't have to discover them. He acknowledged those to me. Wow. And he acknowledged those to me, and then I got a chance to observe where he tried to make those or correct those mistakes, you know, before he passed away. And they were some daunting and life-changing mistakes that he made, which um, in turn gave me an opportunity to say, what path am I going to take? What mistakes am I going to be sure to not repeat? And then what am I going to pass on to my own son? So um, that's probably the best way to start out, um, is that he was a teacher right and wrong. Okay, He teach you from the things he did right, teach you from the things he did wrong. Wow. Uh, so, um, and because of that, our relationship obviously was different than, you know, for example, what you shared when we got started. Because I can, um, from a, a standpoint of sincere gratitude, I never did anything that my father didn't see. He was physically present for everything I did, wow. everything in my life. And even right now, that's extremely rare, um, and it's extremely unfortunate. You know, uh, but it is something that was instilled in me, and I think if Ken Jr. was sitting here, he would tell you that I've been at everything that he ever did. And it impacts him because he always knew that there was somebody there who loved him, who believed in him, and wanted him to succeed. And the expectation for success was always there. Do you think, you know, given given how, how present your father was, given, you know, uh, what you felt about him, 
Did it scare you, the thought of being a father and having to follow those footsteps? No, actually, it, it empowered me because he was so admired in the community um, with the local politicians, with the other parents, you know, that whole village, yeah. uh, and the school systems, you know. Um, I learned what it was like to be accountable yeah. in the eyes of the public and in the house. And I was ready when, you know, when I became a father, you know, I didn't like the way I became a father, but I was ready for the responsibility. And, th and we're talking about, you know, you grew up in Gary, Indiana. Yes. Where's your father from originally? Uh, Parkins, Arkansas, but he spent a majority of his upbringing in Gary. All right. So, yeah. so, so, so he moved to Gary. Mm -hmm. um, and what did your father do for a living? He was a millwright. In the uh, inland steel, the the big the big plant uh, out the shores of Lake Michigan in Chicago, okay. and then he was a general contractor later in life. He he uh, had a company. All right, and 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 he he did something on the side. Oh, well, I don't know if that was well, his career, <laughs> but but he, fun. he had well, nice hands. My my father was a uh, what we call today a blue chip athlete. Okay, and he was a, a heavyweight professional fighter. And he fought at the time, unfortunately, where people of color just didn't get the shake. You know, and I used to ask him, uh, you think you could have beat Mike Tyson? And he said, I would have blessed him. And that means <laughs> 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 that means that he would have hit him with his left hook and Mike wouldn't have been able to handle that. Wow, you know? wow. So, you know, uh, you have older brother and sisters, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Did did any of your older brothers and sisters or, or did your mom ever tell you about <laughs> any of the fights that they got to see your father? I don't think any of my siblings saw any of his fights. I think he, he did his fighting before he went into the service. He was a okay. Marine and he was in the Army as well. So okay. um, He did both. Yeah, he did both. He fought in the Korean conflict and the Second World War as well. So his boxing days happened... I'm guessing 18 to 25 or somewhere in there, and then he went to the service. So I don't know all the the, the, the timeline, and I don't know how long he boxed either, but I know that he had a name as a boxer, Yeah. and it was a name well enough where people would try to bribe him to throw fights. And my mother speaks of, uh, going to the mailbox and there's a block of money in the um, in the mailbox and she goes to him and she says, Ted, where'd this money come from? And he knew instantly how to get on the phone, who to call, and he said, you come get this so-and-so money because I ain't throwing no fights and I'm not to be bought. Wow. And, uh, and then a few minutes later you hear tires screeching. She goes out and the money's gone. You know, last night you were talking about, you, you alluded to her earlier about, you know, how um, how your father had such a significant impact and role in the community. Yes. Right? And mm -hmm. you, you told me a couple of stories, man. Yeah. Like, what okay. Some of those stories of things that he would do to help people, man. Yeah. And, you know, and, and my father was known for several things. One, you know, he was known for his big hands. Yeah. Yeah. Them one hands, dude. <laughs> but I don't know what them are. Uh, they one hands. Them one hands, okay, man. They called them claws. Yeah. His big claws, his big appetite. Okay. And his big heart. And um, in the community, he was the precinct committeeman. That's like your local mayor, basically. Yeah, yeah. 
and he was the captain of the civil defense. And so I grew up rescuing uh, old folks from the snowstorms, and when the, in the spring when the river overflowed and people were flooded, we were in the boats getting people out. Wow. You know, so things like Katrina, yeah. Hurricane Katrina and all that aftermath, I was long familiar with that, that type of rescue effort. So um, people knew who to call yeah. in my neighborhood and in surrounding neighborhoods. And uh, my father had the kind of uh, reputation with the local authorities that he could uh, cause people's utilities to get turned on. He could cause them to get alternative jail sentences. Wow. Um, um, and he was known in the school system. You know, it was many days I'd be walking the halls and I'd have five or six of my friends say, your dad's here, your dad's here. And it'd be three, five minutes before I actually saw him. But people knew wow. yeah, him. So it was easy to uh, stay on the straight and narrow because so many people were watching I, me because of him. You, you know, you, you just, you, 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 you already entered into my next question. <laughs> Gary, Indiana. At one point, Gary, Indiana had a population over a hundred and almost 180,000 people, mm -hmm. right? It was just shy of being bigger than Fort Wayne, which is the second largest city in Indianapolis. So Gary's like six right now. Mm -hmm. But at that time, it was three and almost second, yeah. right? And then over time, you know, economic uh, challenges happened to the city. And then Gary, at one point, was, had the highest murder rate per capita yeah. of any city in the U.S. It was mm -hmm. constantly ranked as one of the most violent places to live. How, how did your father keep you and your brothers and sisters from, you know, falling victim to both either being active participants or, in your, some cases, being away from it so you wouldn't be harmed yeah. in such a violent community? Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, that question's interesting, Rob, because when I was a kid, I didn't see Gary as a violent city. Okay. And part of that was because we were so active. All of our, you know, there's six of us, and all of us had something to do. Okay. We were busy academically, busy athletically, busy in the community, busy with the church. And so we didn't spend time in the inner city like the images and the statistics might think that that was all there was to do. Yeah. Gary was a huge city. Lots of shopping, a large population, lots of celebrities and, and people with various talents. So um, when we talk about when it was the murder capital, mm -hmm. that was actually more post my childhood than during my childhood. So when the steel industry went down, I probably was still 12 to 15 years old. Mm. Okay? And it took probably 20 years for the city to get to what I would call rock bottom. Mm. That's where most of the families had to leave because there's no more jobs. There's you know massive layoffs um, because they just weren't producing steel anymore. And aluminum became the, the commodity for building in and large-scale uh, large construction. So I wasn't really uh, a part of that okay. era, you know, but still, I didn't go to the Gary school system where the, the vast majority 
of black families went that uh, their kids went. I mean, it was nine high schools, and they were graduating 1,100 to 1,400 a class. Okay, wow. today the high schools right now total population is less than 700. Wow. You see, so it was a really populated city then, and it was flourishing. Yeah. You know, and you know that so. Needs to say things like athletics and stuff. People from Gary schools, yeah, they just dominated in pretty much every sport because you know the talent base was so hot. It, it was, you, you know, know people think about you know sidebar. People think about Indianapolis, um, you know, who are from Indiana, like Indianapolis. But if you're from Indiana, then you know the history of Gary. Yeah, right. Not just the Jackson Five, <laughs> right. But that team that Crispus Attucks played in the mm-hmm. championship mm-hmm. was also another all-black team. Yes. So that year, one of those teams was going to win yeah. and was going to be the first all-black team in the country, I believe, mm-hmm. to win a state basketball tournament, mm-hmm. right? So one of those years. And then, you know, you can go down the path of how many professional athletes yeah. and celebrities came out of Gary. Yeah. You know, and so there was plenty of that. And because of that type of... Um, attention to the general area, they call it a region, because um, there were surrounding cities in Gary, or they still are, in Chicago, Hammond, um, Holbert, Griffith, you know, all these surrounding places. It's a huge talent base. Um, even though, as I grew up, Gary was predominantly black, like 90, probably 2%. Yeah. The surrounding areas had more ethnic diversity, and there was a good mix in terms of competition. Yeah. But, you know, year after year, especially like in track and field, yeah. it was either Gary Westside or Gary Roosevelt, one of those teams going to win the uh, state championship yeah. Yeah. for like, you know, eight to ten years yeah. Yeah. in a row. You know, um, so, you know, to get, to, to, to get back to the subject, my father didn't, no, both my parents believed in um, activity, okay, as a means of not just go do something mm-hmm. and get out of my face. But these uh, activities they had us in were as much about personal development as they were about uh, building your, keeping your body strong, keeping your mind sharp, um, being a part of your community, um, and getting to know the other families that you know, uh, were parents and brothers and sisters of my teammates. What, 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 you know, you you probably have so many life lessons. Name one, name one that your father shared with you that stood out. What's a life lesson that, as a matter of fact, I'll make it a little, I'll make it a little more specific. What was one of the hardest life lessons your father had to teach you? Well, actually, it, that is, uh, uh, it's still easy. <laughs> okay, all right. It's take what you got and make what you need. And, you know, and I would tell people all the time, and I mentioned, I think, last night, you know, I could change a car tire with a hammer and screwdriver. You know, and my father was notorious for never, never, never having the right tools to do the work. And he got away with a lot of things because he's so strong. Yeah. He could either make something happen or he's going to break it. Either way, yeah. either way, something happened. Um, but because he didn't have the right tools, and in many cases, we just simply couldn't afford to go buy, you know, 
the, the latest state of the art piece of equipment. So I watched him make things happen. And because I was the youngest, I literally was, was doing the watching. My job was to hold the light. And so I was the best light holder yeah. while my brothers and my dad did the work. But they always had to do the work without the proper tools. And so he would say that all the time. He says, you can't say can't. They don't say what you can't do. All right? Take what you got and make what you need. Wow. You know? And so that still applies today because we still are people in general with less than enough to do, to live a life of prosperity. What would you say, um, what would you say your father is, is, is most remembered for, for the people, for the people that knew him? What is, what is he most remembered for? Well, he was a savior. I mean, he kept people's children out of jail. He kept, uh, he's responsible for giving paved roads throughout the community. He was responsible for um, getting city water yeah. delivered um, um, in, in our area, which is called the small farms. Um, uh, in terms of, uh, I guess, just general integration of the schools is a huge one. Yeah. You know, in fact, all six of us went to uh, Calumet High School, and it was because of my father that we were the first black family to in integrate the Lake Ridge school system. And all six of us graduated from there when Gary Roosevelt was probably two miles, two, three miles away from our house. But he didn't believe in having one ethnic group dominate the presence of wow. an academic facility. Wow, really? And, yeah, and he was um, a stickler about that, even with all the racism he faced, um, you know, as he came up yeah. and in the military. You know, but he said, you know, in order to be the best, you got to make sure everybody's there. Okay? <laughs> if you only hang around one group or type of people. Yeah. Okay, you can't really say you're the best because there's not enough diversity for you to say, well, I can beat this kind of person and that type of person as yeah. well. Then you got to be able to know where you need to be flexible, where you need to be more more uh, stringent, etc. So he believed in integration for those reasons. I mean, authentic competition, not just fabricated. And we went. You, he said, yeah. you know, there's a story. There's a story for me. When my mom died in July of 1977, my stepfather um, got killed in front of us mm. in February of 1977. Mm. So, so five months, six months later, I went to my mom's funeral. And, you know, we're getting out the, the limousine, me, my two sisters, and my grandparents. And we're walking up the church steps. You know, I'm seven years old, dude. My father, my biological father, is coming out of the church. And he looks down at me and my sisters. I'll never forget it. He didn't stay for the funeral. He went to the viewing even before we got there. Mm. Right? And he said to me, he said to me and my sisters, he said, you know, listen, if y'all need anything, y'all let me know. Because, you know, I love you. And I, remember, I'm always your father. Mm. His last words, right? I remember him saying that. 
when I was 14, he brought me a dollar bill for Christmas. And he brought my sisters the uh, the perfume tester bottle from mm-hmm. one of the uh, from the neighborhood drugstore mm-hmm. that was half used. Wow! For Christmas. Wow! I, I got a dollar bill, and they got a half used bottle of perfume. And 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 then you know that on top of just other things in my childhood that that are covered in my book. But I knew then. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, you know what? If I'm going to be, a, if I'm ever going to be a father, I ain't going to be that dude. Yeah, yeah. I ain't going to be that mm-hmm. dude. You know, you know, just listening to that, you know, it, it's painful to me. You know, and of course, I'm happy to say, well, I've, I've never experienced that. You know, um, if nothing else, I mean, we were poor, would. Six O's in the middle, and, but we were never hungry. We always lived in a house. Yeah. Um, if it was cold, Dad find somewhere, some way, to make it warm. Even if he had to build a fire in the house. Okay. But we never were on public assistance, and we never were out begging for anything. And you know, listening to your story, and you know, and I've heard others. It's just incredible how any person that would call themselves something as significant as a parent could be that distant yeah. from their, their bloodline. And I never had that. I don't know. That is as foreign to me as Japanese. You know, and my dad had his problems. You know, my mother had her problems. They had their, yeah. their issues, um, certainly. But they were there. In, in all capitals, and I don't know a life without without that. You know, um, my wife Robin, who you know, right? Um, mm. Over the twenty-something years, you know, we've had our ups and downs, and you know, there were times that people would say, um, "Man, y'all seem so unhappy," or "You seem so unhappy. Why do you stay? Why come you haven't left?" Mm. And there's this piece, there's two pieces, there's this piece that says, you know, I asked God for her and God showed me the answer. So mm-hmm. until he tells me I can leave, I ain't leaving regardless of what happened, right? <laughs> That's one. The second thing is I tell people, and this is probably the stronger reason I stay, uh, or I stayed in those times when I, I probably could have or she could have. But for me, it was, I couldn't imagine not being in the house with my daughters growing up. Like, like for me, because I didn't have parents, uh, I I wouldn't have cared if I came in and saw the the, the worst thing in the world happening. Mm-hmm. We got to figure it out. But I'm not leaving them. Yeah. Me and you may not get along, Rob. <clears throat> but them right there, and people will say, you know, I had people, man, men and women will be like, but but man, that's crazy. And you know, don't you deserve to be happy? Don't you think she deserves to be happy? And I say, happy is relative. Mm-hmm. So for me, happiness is coming home every day mm-hmm. and having my daughter say, hi, dad, I love you mm-hmm. because I didn't have that. Yeah. What what did your relationship with your dad? Um, how did that impact you? We talked about it in the beginning, but how did that either impact you, inspired you, you know, molded you into how you parent now? Mm. Um. I like that question because it, it, it forces me to tell two sides of my dad. 
his relationship with my mother was very turbulent. Mm -hmm. And they probably separated nine, if not 12 times. Yeah. Every time when we had our one-on-ones, because we visited both of our parents, he would say, whatever happens, your mother's the one for me. And there was only one time out of those 12 where he said, well, if your mother wants a divorce, I'm going to give it to her. And that might have been the 12th time. Mm-hmm. But he never said, I want a divorce. He never said, I want out. Um, he never said, I'm interested in somebody else or something else. Yeah. And um, while the, you know, their problems were their problems, yeah. he never wavered that in my face. He never wavered from that in my face. He never said, your mama treat me like this or whatever, and I want to leave. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, of course, he complained. You know, he's human, but he never said I want it out. You know, and you know, for me, I mean, you know, I've had other marriages, and you know, they had to leave. They had to leave. You know, one the marriage I stayed in was way too long, way too long. But it was just, you know, the the commitment to being the best kin I could be as a husband. And obviously the, the, the best father. Um, the tangent for me, or the difference for me in terms of, of your side, is that I didn't. Um, me being without my kids was a uh, that was completely unacceptable. And yeah. And and I'm thinking if some if the mother's crazy, then why would I live with my kids? If I think the mother's crazy, oh, why would wow. I live with my kids? I didn't even think okay. about that. Why would you yeah. leave her with someone that you yeah, think is crazy? Exactly. And I'm, if I'm leaving, they leave Wow. Too. Okay? So I had to make sure it wasn't me. You see? And, and I learned with each um, marriage that how to self-check Ken. You know? And, you know and, and I tell my wife, if you ask me to do something, I'm going to do it. If I say I'm going to do it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Okay, and if it comes out of my mouth, you can check it. And you know, I got that from both my parents. Yeah. You know, but my father was just more vocal. Um, and I tell my, as a parent, I tell my kids, I or I used to tell them, if I'm not doing it, okay, you should ask me why I'm not doing it. Okay, because I will tell you why I make my choices. Yeah. Okay, so you'll know, and you can get into my head because. Knowledge transfer should not be yeah. like pulling teeth. Yeah. You should freely acknowledge. And you know, and my father wasn't like that at first because he, you know, he's a product of the environment. He was the male. He was big. He was strong. Uh, he could whoop anybody that came near. And he had to tell you why. You either comply or else I can make you. Right. Okay. But as he got older and maybe softened, and I was the last one. Yeah. I would ask him. You know, say, hey, why are you? Uh, you know, why you speak like that to mom? Or why you uh, uh, shake that guy up the way you, sh- you shook him up? You know, and he would talk to me about the pressures he felt to survive, to be black, to be, to answer the call every time somebody comes to our house. I need food, I need water, I need electricity, I need to get my son out of jail. All those things they came to Ted Cooper for. And he felt he was under pressure all the time. So he made mistakes 
trying to answer those calls. Mm. You know, and he was one of those people that believed that other people's blood can be on, on his hands if he didn't do something, regardless if you made the same mistake 10, 11, 12 times. Mm-hmm. You know, if you come to him for help and you don't get it, and something happens to you, yeah. you believe it was, he believed it would be on him. And I'm like, your, your heart's too big in that regard. You got to learn how to walk away. And he didn't teach me that, but he demonstrated how not to walk away, and I learned from that, and I can walk away. What, 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 what would you say is your, is your greatest mistake as a father? And what I mean by that, we all have mistakes. We, I mean, there's many things I've done wrong, just golly. You know, even stuff they don't know, or maybe they do know, but I just mean as a father and in, in interacting and in parenting, What's what's one of the biggest mistakes that you made or aha moments where you go, man, my dad told me about this? Well, the greatest mistake I made, my father didn't tell me okay. about it. Um, and it probably led to me making that mistake. Um, he had a lot of turbulence with my mother. Uh-huh. You know, they were very, very extremely smart people. Uh, Mom was really good with money. Uh-huh. Dad was terrible, but he was the man, uh-huh. right? And he didn't believe in letting the women handle certain things, so they had a lot of internal clashes. Um, he didn't date my mother, you know. Um, early on, I mean, Dad was a good talker. He's a good-looking man. He was in great physical shape. Um, Mom was the same way. She was a good-looking girl. Um, she uh, uh, was in the athletics and she was in the glee club and, you know, the stuff that the uppity, my mother came from a family with, uh, that was pretty comfortable okay. financially. Um, so they didn't really learn how to pick mates. Mm. You know, they just, things came together from the things, they came together from the things that were already pleasurable to them. You okay. know, and they weren't thinking about well, how are we going to live? How are we going to handle our finances? Yeah. You know, what's going to be our our spiritual balance? What's going to be our rules for raising kids? Okay, how are we going to live with each other being number one? Okay, I didn't see that, and I made that mistake. So spousal Ooh. choice, Ooh. spousal choice Ooh. is my biggest mistake. Ooh. Okay. And, and my kids know that, and my exes know that. <laughs> I, yeah, because, you know, I, I wasn't good for them because I picked, you know, I participated in the decision for the wrong reasons. Yeah. You see? And so I made that mistake. You know, the second one was I took a role as a vice president, and I moved my kids to a city that was loaded with racism that I've dedicated my life to eradicate. Wow. And it hurt my children. It hurt their development. Wow. Ch- ch- chasing, chasing a career, a next move. Yeah. I, yeah. I, so, you know, I, I know my mistakes, and, and I say them out loud, and, and I'm proud of what I've learned. Yeah. You know, I can't retract the, you know, the past for my kids. Yeah. But I sure can make a better future with my wife. Okay. <laughs> 
if you if you was there anything um your father passed recently a couple yes. of years back mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. was there anything that you missed that you needed to share or wanted to share with him before he passed or were you did you have everything you needed to you know that's a great question yeah. and that's why um i tell people all the time i'm so thankful for the the life that my father lived because he shared probably more of his life and his emotional, psychological um, uh, elations and regrets. He probably shared them with me more than he, any of the other five. And we talked about everything before yeah. dementia set in. And then I had the, I won't call it fortune, but the circumstance where I cared for him all by myself for six years. And well, I took a vice presidency role uh, in Indiana. Yeah. I went back to Indiana to care for him. And it was just him and me. And he lived in his house about three miles from mine. And I cared for him every day. It's physically. Wow. Yeah. I didn't. I was going to ask you yeah. what was that like when you went back to Gary? Yeah. After so I you went had, back. I, I raised, I raised my children. Uh, went through that turbulent marriage, and I cared for my senior father. All around and the same window. The same time. The same time. And I had two vice presidential roles. I was vice president of student affairs and diversity at the same time. You 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 know, <laughs> I, I, I I'm telling you, I, Ken. Like here's a story you probably you will not remember. Um, I came into the African American Culture Center. It's probably in '96. You were there, yeah. And I came in with Robin, and you used to always give Robin a hard time because mm -hmm. she was that <laughs> cop on campus with that little cart and used to <laughs> tease her all the time, right? But <laughs> you out here doing officer friendly, right? <laughs> And um, and you know we we joke because we were dating. You was like, you, I think you told her, how did you get him? Like usually it's the guy who gets teased. Like but you would tease her, be like, hello Robin, like officer friendly. Like how did you get Rob? And and I remember, and I I didn't even say this. I remember a conversation we had, man, in uh, in African American Culture Center. And um, you you told me then, dude. You told me then. You was like, man, I'm proud of you because I had went back to school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was there. I had quit my job in Louisville. I mm -hmm. came back full time. And I was telling you about it. And you was like, man, I'm proud of you. And you said, it'll work out. And years ago when, um, you know, I, uh, I decided to come to Republic Airways, which is where I worked at recently, right? And I called and we did some work together. And the first thing you said, dude, is I'm proud of you. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of you. And, man, to, to have that come from someone, you know, that I looked up to 25, 26 years ago, yeah. someone who I think is, like, the pinnacle of this thing called diversity, excellence, and, and, then, and now to hear your stories and be in your home. And, you know, I didn't even know you had kids, like, mm -hmm. all these years. And, so, and to hear the success of your children, man, to meet your beautiful wife, dude, like, I am a... I'm blown away mm. uh, of, of not just what you've done, but who you are. But hearing the stories about your father, 
I'm not surprised. Yeah. My last question for you. Okay. If you could go back and tell teenage Ken something that he needed to do, get, or be while he was still a teenager in the presence of his father, mm-hmm. what, what would you go back and tell yourself? I would tell myself to be more aware of when you're being gullible and probably just put a period there. Be, be more aware when you're being gullible because I was an excitable child uh-huh. and I was fortunate enough to have a lot of successes early, you know, and not just because of my father but and my parents because my mother was a school teacher and they were both known in the school system. But I was, uh, I had a lot of success. I was in the paper all the time, you know, different records, football, basketball, baseball, track. You know, I was a model for a hot minute, and I was a boxer like my father. But people made promises and pretended to guide me um, just more because I was somebody to guide, you know, because I'm, popular and you know it's good to be with a coop wood you know? yeah 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 you know and a lot of those things I took to heart because I'm wanting bigger and better things but I really don't know what bigger and better is yeah um so I would have needed to learn more outside of the the realm of uh excitement and um just all this grandiose dreaming, you know, just learn a, a bit more about how things work early so that I won't get passed over for a uh, scholarship like at Michigan State and Ohio State for football just because, you know, I had a, a coach saying, well, you should be happy you just got, you graduated from high school and because most black boys don't even graduate high school. So you, you head over here. You should be proud of yourself. Hold your chest up, and you're a coopwood, and everybody loves you. And that's all you need. Wow. You see, but if I was a little more astute, then I'd be asking, "Was well, that all I can get?" Wow. You see, so a teenage kid Ken wasn't asking those questions because I was caught up in all the emotions that come with popularity. Wow. And I wasn't thinking about purpose. What advice, um, what was the most, I saw it's going to be the last one, but you just hit me. (laughs) Given that, what was the most frequent advice, guidance, discussions your father had with you when you were a teenager? Was was there something that was always a constant reminder of him to you? Like, didn't I just tell you? Mm -hmm. What was that? Is there anything? Yeah, it was the same. No matter what I did, he said, be the best. Period. Don't bring no seeds to the house, okay? And and don't play your worst game because you're uh, dealing with a lesser opponent. He said, you play everybody like it's a championship game. Well, and I can remember one time uh, specifically where we lost the basketball game. And I was so caught up with the guy pinching me yeah. when I'd go for the layup, you know, and the ref not calling it, 
because I'm going up and he pitching me in my side and I'm missing the layup because I'm anticipating getting yeah, the yeah, pain. Yeah. And uh, after the game, I'm talking to my father and I'm trying to get him to side with me like I was mistreated. Uh-huh. You know, and the rest wasn't calling and it was somebody else's fault. And then he said, I never thought that um, I see you perform so poorly against that caliber of an opponent. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. Because well, he knew you it. had the talent. <laughs> yeah. He he knows. He knew what I had. He knew what I was capable of. And he's like, you wasn't playing nobody, but you lost because you were distracted from who you were. Woo. Yeah. Woo. And that's what it is. <laughs> Oh, that's a nugget. Yeah, it's a nugget. I still remember it. Man, you lost because you got distracted of who you were. It wasn't based on who they were or what they were. Wow. Mm -hmm. Dude, that's such a life lesson right there. Yeah, it is. It applies in so many, especially I'm thinking about me. Mm -hmm. Man, so many mistakes. Like I I lost sight of who I was Mm -hmm. and what I had to offer and got caught up in, man, man, man. So, yeah, so, you know, this thing about fatherhood is exponentially important, you know. And as we started, you know, I say it it pains me to hear stories like yours. And I've heard, if you hear one, you've heard one too many. But my father was there. And probably the most important thing I could ever say about him is that he was there. And I don't care what he was doing that day. How dirty he showed up physically. Yeah. You know, he'd come off the steel mill. He'd come from off the job. He's a general contractor. And he never changed. And people knew when he came into the gym. Yeah. He always sat the same place. And, you know, he had bad knees, so he didn't climb the steps. He sat right on the on floor level, and you could hear him yelling. Wow. And his voice boomed across the gym. And people expected that. Well, well, man, I, I know he's proud of you. And um, I should have asked this in the beginning, but I didn't. Um, I got, you got to tell me, uh, you got to tell the, the audience the name of your company, what you do, and if they want to contact you, how do they contact And I'm going to put it up on the screen, but okay. I, should, I didn't give you a chance to do it in the beginning. Okay. Our company is uh, Coopwood Diversity Leadership and Education Universal. And the acronym is Coop D. Lou. So Coop and D.I. and L.E.U. So that's Diversity, Leadership, and Education Universal. Okay? And um, it sounds French. It looks uh, Chinese when you look at the, yeah, at yeah, the letters. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we, we truly have a mission to be impactful across racial, ethnic uh, boundaries. Um, what we do is... Um, it's really about diversity, infrastructural development and design because it's, it makes no sense to try to change a person's thought, life, and behavior if you don't have a mechanism in place for them to, to grow in, those, in that new thought, yeah. in that line of behavior. So we're, we're changing paradigms, and paradigms are patterns, processes, and practices that people do every day not just because they're reacting to something that happened on TV or uh, somebody got shot or, you know, or some other <coughs> social activity. So 
um, our website is coopdelude.com, you know, and um, when you go on there, you'll see our array of services. You'll also see, also see what we do for children. Uh, I've written, uh, my wife and I have written four youth development books, and we are serious about starting as young as you can at the impressionable age and building adults so that their thought life is one that's conducive to their transformation into globally responsible and ethical human beings. Dude, that's a mouthful, but that, that is just impactful. <laughs> well, man, listen, I, I got to thank you, one, for having me in your home. Thank you for hooking me up with Dave's Hot Chicken. Hey! <laughs> Dave's Hot Chicken, if you see this, uh, and, you, you know, I'm looking for sponsors, and I'm, I'm more than happy to put some chicken always on the table because that chicken was fire. Uh, thank you for, uh, man, giving me the wonderful bed. Uh, thank your wife for serving as our, our production engineer. And, bro, thank you for being a friend and a mentor now for me. Almost 30 years, Yeah, dude. where did the time go? Almost 30 years. And you got man. more gray than me. Dude, I, listen, <laughs> that, that, that's because I didn't listen to a lot of the wisdom that I should have had. Actually, I'm going to say it's because I ain't have a father. That's what I'm going to say, but <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah. I, I'm going to take it. I'm, I, I, used to, I used to try to, 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 to die, but, um, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm we a, all go through that. I, I'm gonna let it rock, man. It is yeah, what it is. It is what I, it is. I'm grateful. I still can grow it, and I still got hair. It's so, listen, if it's gray, it's gray. It is. Yeah. Brother, thank you for joining the show. Thanks, I'm gonna come back another time. We're gonna shoot some more podcasts. But thank you, thank you, well, thank you all for joining us on this episode of the In His Voice podcast. We'll see you next time. Take care.